0: Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. And glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. That music means the Hillsdale Dialogue is underway, and not just any Hillsdale Dialogue. They're all wonderful. They're all collected at hillsdale.edu. You can find them on iTunes as well with Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu, including applications for you young folks out there. If you want to go to the finest, the Lantern of the North, if you want a real education, go to Hillsdale. We have begun a project on the history of the English speaking peoples, Churchill's four volume work. We are in volume one, chapter, the first book. There are three books in each volume. This is Book One, Volume One, From Caesar to the Evacuation of the Island by Rome. Uh, Dr. Arne is my guest, as always. Dr. Arne, last week you mentioned that Churchill makes a point to point out that the the English Channel is relatively young in the things of men. He points out that it still existed when the pyramids were a building. So it's a young island nation because it's a relatively young island.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Britain is a latecomer to importance in. Europe. Mostly what it was was a big, nearby, well, first connected by land, but that's a bit before we have records. But it, once it's an island, then the way to get there is different. And that means that people go for different reasons. And once a great seafaring warlike people started up in Europe, the next thing you know, they're invading that, that island which was not ready for them. So the early history of Britain, the recorded history, is nothing but turbulence, also achievement. Uh, and, And that's... So that's the first effect of its being an island.
0: On page 15, the first quote I have in the margin, the first note I have in the margin, I make many notes about coming back, but my first margin note is, Thus and forever, after this quote, the Britons had sued for peace after the battle on the beach with Caesar, but now they saw the plight of their assailants and their hopes revived, and they broke off negotiations in great numbers. They attacked the Roman foragers, and I wrote thus and forever. Negotiations are never over till they're over, Dr. R. Not even in 54, I guess this is 49 AD, or 49 BC.
1: They're never over till after they're over. Yes. <laughs> it, it, uh, yeah, they just, you know, they... The Romans, uh, Churchill writes a powerful thing on this. He claims—I don't know if it's true. He claims that Rome ruled the world and kept it in order with about three hundred thousand soldiers.
0: That's on page thirty-seven. Isn't that amazing?
1: It's you know, isn't that amazing? And uh, and and see, uh, it, it's uh, relevant to this thing we're talking about because. Caesar has got enemies that vastly outnumber him, uh, in both to his left and his right in Gaul and in Germany, and so of course what he does is take a part of his force and go invade somewhere else, and he thinks that'll be enough. And ultimately, it was enough, but he got thrown off first. Uh, So yeah, those Romans were really something.
0: I think it's fascinating that, that he begins with Caesar. That must have appealed to him. And oh, yeah. he, of course, gets to Claudius, and he gets to 400 years of Roman rule. Peaceful that it is. There's an aside in this, Dr. Arn, that I don't know the answer to this question. He writes, famous books, which their writers after a lifetime believed are final, are now recognized as obsolete. Is he referring to Gibbon in the, the fall of the Roman Republic? Is he taking a shot at someone unnamed?
1: I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Uh I should have looked that up, and I didn't. Uh, I don't—he I, I, he doesn't attribute it, and— uh... No,
0: he doesn't. And that—I just was wondering if perhaps you had an intuition, famous books, because he's—he doesn't want to name someone, maybe in respect to their literary achievement, because of the rise and fall of the Roman Empire is a literary masterpiece, even though history is caught up with it in a few places. Page 42. If a native of Chester in Roman Britain could wake up today— he would find laws which were in direct fulfillment of many of those he had known. He would find in the public libraries many of the masterpieces of ancient literature printed on uncommonly cheap paper and in great number. He would have baths and plumbings. The Romans were a good thing for the island.
1: Yeah, there's a passage later where, when Rome recedes. And what happens? Uh, the country sinks into decay. It, uh, life expectancy falls. Uh, literature becomes scarce. Living conditions fall. Uh, the villas are grown over with weeds. And, you know, law and order is fundamental, and they lost it. And uh, Rome, when Rome fell, something great fell, and it uh, cost Britain. And Britain is an interesting example because
0: Britain is,
1: is always the uttermost extent of the Roman Empire. The first time they built a wall... They built Hadrian's Wall just south of Scotland. Uh, Rome, Rome wasn't given to building walls because, heck, we might want to go farther, right? And that was a kind of symbolic thing. And Britain was way up there at the end, and that means that Rome got control of Britain later, and it left Britain earlier than other places.
0: You know, there is an ambivalence through these whole four volumes, Dr. Arnott. Tell me if I'm completely wrong. A, a certain Churchillian admiration of the Scots, the Irish, and the wealth. On page 30, in the wild north and west, freedom found refuge among the mountains, but elsewhere the conquest and pacification were at length complete, and Britannia became the 45th province of the Roman Empire. Freedom is what he associates with those damn Scots and Irish who wouldn't end the Welsh, who wouldn't give in. Yeah, yeah, there.
1: And see, that's, uh, he does have great sympathy for that kind of thing. And also for the greatness of Britain, see. So for Britain to play its role in the world, which is important to Churchill. Uh, I think it's, you know, there's a controversy about this. I think it's second most important to Churchill. Uh, most important to Churchill is that Britain be a free place where everyone is afforded the chance to live a human life. And that's more important than being great, Uh, although Churchill was very into great, see. And, you know, he fashions an argument through this book and all the others that you have to be great to keep that goodness quality, freedom and justice quality. He has
0: a favorite character in this first volume. I don't know if you'll agree with me on who it is. Who do you think his favorite character is in this first volume?
1: Uh, I don't know. Who do you think it is? Henry V. Yes, and that's interesting. When we get there, we'll talk about that, because Churchill is not in sympathy with the project of no. Henry V.
0: He's in sympathy with the character of the man.
1: Yeah, that very much, yeah. That, that is certainly true. And, you know, that's chance, right? Henry V, he, he didn't live very long, and that changed everything. Yeah. And if you just think, uh, chance strikes like lightning uh, is the reason why, by the way, we can't be sure that we've suffered our final defeat in America, although it looks like it.
0: Oh, it's sort of like, um, I think you said many months ago, along comes a long come the history wild card, Zelensky, and everything yeah. changes.
1: And, and, you know, Henry V is one, and then Joan of Arc is one.
0: Oh, I love the Joan of Arc passages, which we will come to.
1: <laughs> yeah, see, those are... those. Two people are proximate to each other. And uh, that's, you know, and, and neither of them could be predicted.
0: Yeah, and they were force-counterforce after Henry V comes Joan of Arc. That's and right. it, it's just their, their bookends to the same period. I do want to pause for a moment. We owe London to Rome. Um, true? Or was yes, London sure. inevitable given where it's located?
1: Sure. He uh, uh, Lundinium, they called it uh and they you know built it into a center and you know it's funny the vikings were essentially a naval bunch right they just weren't happy unless they were freezing to death on a blowy ocean in an open boat the romans were land power they got good at the navy and had to to destroy carthage uh and, you know, there are elements of Carthage. Churchill actually even speculates, you know, there's human sacrifice in Britain. Lots of it. Among Awful, the Druids, evil right? Druids. And that's very rare in history. And the Carthaginians were guilty of it. Uh, a friend of mine, Jim Meeks, argues inside his company, by the way, I love this about him, that... Uh, uh, The motto of his company is Carthago de Linda Est, which is what Cato the Elder would say at the end of all of his speeches, uh, which means Carthage must be destroyed. So if he was given a speech about the plumbing system, he would end it with that phrase. And why did they have to destroy it? Uh, They were guilty of
0: child sacrifice. Sacrifice. Yep. And in the Old Testament, it is also the abomination to Yahweh, and it's an abomination to Churchill, and he does not hide it in the midst of old, ancient Britain. We'll be back. Before you dare let anyone tell you there is no King Arthur, you have to read Winston Churchill on Arthur. The curtains are down on history by 410. True or false, he writes, these legends have gained an immortal hold on the thoughts of men. It is difficult to believe it was the invention of a Welshman writer. And then he adds, if we could see exactly what happened, we would find ourselves in the presence of a theme as well. Founded as inspired, as inalienable from the inheritance of mankind as the Odyssey or the Old Testament. It is all true or ought to be, and more and better besides. And whenever men are fighting against barbarism, tyranny, and massacre for freedom, law, and honor, let them remember, for that the fame of their deeds, even though they themselves be exterminated, may perhaps be celebrated as long as the world goes round. I love that, Dr. Arn.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Churchill was a great lover of the good. And, the, you know, there are passages in him. he just He just rises to them effortlessly, where he describes... Be- good and beautiful things, and you love them when you read about them, and you know the the justice of parliamentary government he 's just great on that, and the 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 glory of great commanders and those who fight with him. he just loves that, and he can explain it and it makes his heart sing, and therefore it makes ours
0: and he locates Arthur between four ninety and, and, and... Five fourteen, I believe. He's got a. He said, "Look, we got lousy sources, but there is something in this island. We don't know where. We don't know exactly when. But there is someone who is fighting for Christendom against the barbarians who are coming over from Germany. And he's not going to let it go. He's not going to let modern historians, about whom he has some pretty rough words, destroy it.
1: Right? Yeah, it's uh, too good not to be true.
0: (laughs) That's what I, I like. That it is all true or ought to be. We'll come back to that theme. Let's pause for a moment on St. Patrick. He gets his due, as do the early missionaries. It's a mixed lot. Early on, Churchill is hinting that England is better off without a papal overseer. I mean, there is this ambivalence about about Christianity in Rome, but not Christianity, which I think will run through the whole book. And people have to—he wants church separated from state.
1: Yeah, and—, and... You know, you can have, there are two things there, right? So, like, from John Paul II, I don't know about the current guy, I don't like him, but uh, (laughs) uh, uh, from John Paul II, it's a theme of the papacy, religious freedom. And there's apologies for violations of it in the history of the Church. And that's a, a great step and a wonderful thing. But there's more than that here, because for the same reason that Churchill is on the side of those who don't want territory in Europe belonging to England, because it's an island power and it gets its character and its strength from that fact. That's the same reason he doesn't want religious rule from abroad.
0: And he's persuasive too. He's very persuasive about this, that even when the church is being run ably, as in Stephen Langston by the Pope. And even when the Brits aren't doing so well, he does not want ecclesiastical government. And this is, I think, a response for our times. Nobody on the center right wants religion to govern the affairs of men. And Churchill is our master in this.
1: Yeah. And, you know, by the way, all kinds of government like that are bad. Uh, You know, in America, things are way too centralized now. And... What does that mean? That means that uh, uh, it means that uh, uh, the government pyramid has been upset Uh, since 19, what, since 2000, students in public schools have grown seven and a half percent, teachers have grown eight and a half percent, and administrators have grown 87 percent. And that means the administrators are about the same number as the teachers now, except they're not located in the
0: schools. And they're and not teaching that, children.
1: So, so the decisions and the power are located away from the children and the parents and the teachers.
0: And that is a disaster. That's a bad kind of government. Hopefully those 8% are teaching the English-speaking people. We'll be right back. Dr. Arn and I continue in Volume 1, Book three. Three, I believe, of the history of the English speaking people. Stay tuned. The Vikings, the Vikings, the Vikings, and Alfred the Great. You know, Dr. Arne, this is the easiest book to sell because if you watch the History Channel or you read Bernard Cornwell's. Uh, uh, wonderful series on Vikings and King Alfred and his successor. Everybody loves the Vikings, and Churchill kind of puts his fingers on it on page 94. We recoil from their villainous destruction and cruel deeds. But we must also remember the discipline, the fortitude, the comradeship, and martial virtues which made them at this period beyond all challenge the most formidable and daring race in the world. he not like the Vikings, but he'll give them their due.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, there's a Viking revival underway, right? Yes. It, uh, uh, the Last Kingdom is, uh, after books by Bernard Car- Cornwall, is really great. And, uh, and you find out about the Viking Code. And there's something great, you know, about them, partly because they're meaner in hell, and partly because they love very deeply. And uh, so, and that's the thing to know about Churchill. Accepting Hitler and Stalin. If there's some great movement in the world that becomes influential, Churchill finds good things to say about it, because it wouldn't have all that strength if there weren't some claim that it had to excellence.
0: You know, I've, I've been listening to his World War II history, and they have a narrator who is attempting to sound like Churchill. He refers to Stalin as Stalin, and repeatedly. Is that, in fact, true? Did he, did he call him Stalin?
1: No, I don't think so. No, okay. no, no, I know he didn't. It's it's in his recorded speeches.
0: look uh, okay, It's a very unusual twitch. He found something nice to say about Stalin, right? If the devil should invade Germany, he'd find a few kind remarks about hell or something like that?
1: Yeah, and, you know, he... he Churchill believed in, you know, avoiding severe judgments if possible. And see, his account of Stalin and Hitler is that they got control because of terrible events in the world of a great native strength in Germany and and in Russia. And they perverted that strength to something else. Uh, and, you know, because in Churchill's world, and I think it's true, Nazism never built anything, right? It might pervert something, but it can't build anything. And... And so he's and but Churchill cultivates sympathy, right? He says wants the brave, loyal uh German people at your throat or at your feet.
0: <laughs> and that's and true. you know, I, our friends Cotton and Pompeo often talk about the Chinese and they're always careful to distinguish the party from the Chinese people. Yeah. Which is important.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's possible, I've thought this for years, I don't know if it's true, but um uh, Churchill was critical of the German people because they were prepared to put up with too much from their government. And they needed to learn better than that.
0: Now we have to turn to a subtle point, Dr. Arndt. I'm keeping you in your your trusses here. Alfred is known, Churchill tells us, and known well. Alfred great. Because St. David wrote it all down. That's an initial spur to being a historian. (laughs) If you want to be remembered, make sure you have someone equal to the task. And he didn't know that there would be an Andrew Roberts of Manchester or a Dr. Larry Arne or a Gary Oldman, so he wrote it himself.
1: Yeah. Well, he's... And see, that's that's precious, right? Because nobody knew as much about Winston Churchill as Winston Churchill. And uh, so he, uh, you know, I... I, uh, I I get very annoyed with historians because they're always talking about what Churchill thought, and they don't recur to what he said. And uh, if you know, if and they a terrible habit is they quote somebody who knew Churchill as authoritative on his thinking, but they don't quote what this person heard Churchill say.
0: And there's so much to there is in Westminster. Abby, and I believe you were the one who directed me to look for it—a gray, a green slab of marble. He's not interred there. You sent me to his, bur- uh, his burial place at Blenheim as well, the churchyard near there. But it just says, "Remember Winston Churchill." And the best way to remember Winston Churchill is to read Winston Churchill. Yeah. So when I read Alfred the Great, this is Churchill looking a thousand years backwards at someone who saved England. And I mean, but for Alfred, there is no England. And he writes about, and he rises and he falls and he rises and he falls. I mean, Alfred's in the marshes and he's got the cake story and all that stuff. It's all in the history of the English speaking people. But he writes on page 117 this sublime power to rise above the whole force of circumstances, to remain unbiased by the extremes of victory or defeat, to persevere in the teeth of disaster, to greet returning fortune with a cool eye, to have faith in men after repeated betrayals. Raises Alfred far above the turmoil of barbaric wars to the pinnacle of deathless glory. There's a dissertation to be written in that sentence, Doctor. Yeah,
1: yeah. And see, uh, who can talk that way? You know, <laughs> most people would be embarrassed to say, to the pinnacle of deathless glory. Uh, it, that that passage reminds me of what a thing that Lincoln wrote about uh, uh, George Washington. He says. Uh, Uh, to embellish the name of Washington, it cannot be. Let it live on in its naked, deathless splendor.
0: (laughs) uh, Or all honor to Jefferson.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: Forecast to
1: place in a merely revolutionary document (laughs) an abstract truth applicable to all men in all times. Right? And, you know, just remember, the most powerful intellectual and political forces in our land are organized specifically to deny the truth of that statement.
0: Yes. And that's dangerous. That's but you know, Dr. Aaron, what gives me hope is I believe that the power of the spoken word, undressed up by CNN lower thirds and free of interruption from moderators, remains potent. I, I, I think the people who speak clearly... And with an aim on high things, or it's going to win the heart of the American people again. Because we're tired of low things.
1: You know, I just did something stupid. I uh, permitted a New Yorker reporter who's writing, oh, dear. Uh, writing a profile with me to come to the opening of
0: school. Oh, dear. And she's
1: very smart, and I like her. Who is it? Emma Green.
0: But you I don't know, you know her. Okay.
1: I mean, I Thank God judgment.
0: it's not Jane Mayer. Okay.
1: I, I will make my judgment whether I like her after I see what she writes. But I do like her, right? In anyway, I kept trying to explain to her, and I didn't feel like I ever could, why do we do all these things for free at Hillsdale College? And I would say, we're teachers, and we like to teach. And we have faith that we will find the resources to sustain ourselves from people who are grateful for that. And we do discover that we find them mostly without even asking for them. And that's, you know, hard for her to believe, uh, Uh, The college has been very successful, and so there has to be a plot. Well, there's a strategy, but there's not a plot. Uh, And that's because what you just said, people love. They love beautiful things. Of course they do. And when they meet them,
0: they change them and elevate them, and people are grateful for that. I I hope. I'm going to break in with the practicals. I hope you sent her to talk to Duncan Strike and took her into the chapel. Uh took her to the chapel, yeah, she talked to everybody, you know, and she she needs to talk to duncan
1: she asked she uh, talked to a bunch of uh our students, and she several more than once she did, apparently,
0: and they'd tell me, and she'd say,
1: Where are the bad
0: kids <laughs> <laughs> and they took to the saying we're the bad kids <laughs> well, you know, fifteen years ago, the New Yorker dispatched nicholas Lemon, a uh, very fine writer, superb uh educator. To do a profile on me, but I only agreed after we reached a mutually assured destruction. I said, "Come talk to me, spend a week. We'll gather together, and you can meet my friends." But then I get to come to the Columbia Journalism School and write a profile of you, uh, f- of same length for the Weekly Standard, which was then a reputable uh, publication. And he agreed. So I had a, you. You have nothing with which to arm yourself against the New Yorker, but on the other hand, you don't really
1: care, do you? Yeah. Well, also. There's the Hillsdale Dialogues. <laughs> There's Imprimus. Yes.
0: You do have weapons. <laughs> <laughs> We're not without the
1: means to respond. And, uh, and, you know, mostly I, you know, I, so I have a, why did I do that? I did that in part because she charmed some of my students uh, and got them to talk about me. And, you know, they, I'm fond of them and they're fond of me. And she said she wanted to explain that. But the other thing is, we have to reason our way through all this myth.
0: Yes, we do. Or else we're going to fall to fighting. Well, I wish you had quoted to her, I, I, if she's listening. To persevere in the teeth of disaster, to great returning fortune with a cool eye. To have faith in men after repeated betrayals. I love that phrase, because Isn't to it? great returning fortune with a cool eye is something... I think Hillsdale has always been careful not to overemphasize its wins.
1: I hope not, and I certainly don't want to. And, you know, another thing about Churchill, this is one of Martin Gilbert's favorite things about him, he didn't carry grudges. Almost never did he. He he was the greatest supporter of Neville Chamberlain after he took his place, and he always treated him with respect. He did have rancor about Stanley Baldwin. Who's these are the two guys in the thirties who didn't—they were appeasers, and they didn't arm the country. But even Stanley Baldwin, he forgave. He uh, Stanley Baldwin had some big birthday. While Churchill, you know, and you know, after nineteen forty, the Churchill world is transformed because Churchill people got to see him perform. Because
0: he persevered. in the worst circumstances. Yep.
1: And the splendor and spectacle of that was amazing to people. He became the greatest man in the world. Well, uh, somebody wrote Churchill, a mutual friend, and said, Stanley Baldwin's got a big birthday. and Would you send him a card? And this is very rare in Churchill. He responded, it would be better if that man had never lived.
0: <laughs> so and, you have to be truly incompetent and bad for the country for him to be that cool. Uh, a week later... Churchill invited him to lunch. Oh dear. Cuz he, he couldn't bad about hold a grudge. It. He couldn't hold a grudge. All right, we'll be right back. The Saxon dusk is upon us. Not the Hillsdale dusk, the Saxon dusk. The Hillsdale dialogue continues all things hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. Welcome back America. The first book uh, volume 1 of Churchill's History of the English-speaking People ends on a low note, The Saxon Dusk. And after Alfred comes, as Dr. Arn pointed out, there's a Viking revival in The Last Kingdom on Netflix and in the books of Bernard Cornwell. So people might know who Ethelred is. They might know the difference between Wessex, Miss Mercia, and Northumbria. They're going to know who all the bad Vikings are. But we're never going to get to Canute in that series because Canute ends up being, along with with uh the great kings of wessex part of the the solution right he actually he's a good ruler larry and the vikings are not all bad no the vikings are uh uh you know
1: winston churchill will teach you to think they couldn't have done all that if they were all bad uh and so yeah and and it was alfred alfred was a very great man and it was alfred's policy He wasn't trying to expel them or extinguish them. He was trying to baptize them.
0: And eventually that's what he did. So you've got two great cultures, the Saxon culture and the Viking culture. And it's on the brink of being overrun by the Norman culture, which is itself a combination of Viking culture and French culture. So England kind of gets the people who can make it across the channel as a as a genetic pool, which is not a bad way to start. Yeah, it's, it, it, by the way,
1: that's how the United States was settled, settled. Good at people uh, facing adversity. People good at facing adversity. And, uh, and you know, the Saxons, right, they're, they're, you know, I love to make Arkansas jokes because I'm from there. And, you know, in Arkansas, we're a bunch of mongrels, and we're all cousins. And that's a point of pride in yeah. Arkansas humor. Same thing can be true of the Saxons and the Vikings, because they came all... from three or four different places, and those places have been influenced by their neighbors very heavily.
0: And I think it's a good reason to be optimistic, even though the consequences of an unbridled border are dire in communities being overrun by fentanyl. But in the long run, people who can make that journey, God bless them, they're going to yeah. be tough. They're going yeah, to be really uh, tough.
1: I have flirted with the idea that uh, it's too easy. Uh, you know, it's not like the old days when my ancestors came over here and it was really tough. I think it's pretty tough right now.
0: No, oh, it's difficult. And you've got to make it through some nasty people. And uh, Ken Follett's most recent book is about African migrant all the way to, to Europe. Let me close by saying the lights of Saxon England were going out, and in the gathering darkness... Uh, a gray-bearded prophet foretold the end. When on his deathbed. Edward, the confessor, spoke of a time of evil coming on the land. His inspired muttering struck terror into his hearers. He died on uh, uh, in October of 1066, right before William the Conqueror shows up. Good or bad that the Normans won? Uh, well,
1: uh, it's one of the most important and beneficial things that ever
0: happened, because my wife is a Norman. Oh, there you go. There, you know That's the end of it. But I, I'm going to close by this by going quickly to um, Foyle's War. Have you watched Foyle's War? I was thinking of Penny oh, last yeah. night. Yeah. All those Americans descend on the invasion. Episode one, season four is the invasion. It's not the Germans. It's the Americans. <laughs> they take all the women.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, what they used to say. Uh, over something, over sex,
0: and over here, over here, <laughs> it's a wonderful episode because, of course, they come in tens of th- hundreds of thousands of Americans. They pave everything, they build buildings, they build airplanes, they take over the war. And there are some English characters who are looking at where were you for the last three years? But they're there then, and boy, when they show, I really haven't thought much about that until the dramatization of it. It must have been jarring in Hastings to have ten thousand Americans arrive.
1: Yeah, and. uh At least sober people remember that as the greatest thing. I mean, you know, my my father-in-law was liberated by American troops.
0: I did. I'd forgotten. I knew he was at Dunkirk. I thought he got away.
1: Well, he he did, and then he was—he was the head of a POW camp under the Japanese for three and a half
0: years in Singapore. Where did they send him after after you get off Dunkirk? They sent him to Singapore?
1: Yeah, right right away. They put him on a boat to the Far <laughs> East and he got there just in time to join the retreat down the Malay Peninsula. The Japanese had attacked and the, you know, it's very funny. The uh, uh, Churchill had fought the expenditures on the defense of Singapore unsuccessfully. He thought it was waste and 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 but they built huge uh, you know uh, fortifications
0: and guns on one side
1: and the guns were all pointing out at the sea (laughs) and the japanese came down the peninsula
0: that is I've i've listened to that part and it was a it was a blow when it hit him as prime minister we'll talk about that in the future. Come back next week, book two of volume one, The Making of the Nation, The History of the English-Speaking People. You can catch up. We're going to be here for weeks. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.